Section 18 of A Half Century of Conflict. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Half Century of Conflict by Francis Parkman. Chapter 10, Part 3. In Massachusetts, many people thought that war could not be justified and were little disposed to push it with vigor. The direction of it belonged to the governor in his capacity as captain-general of the province. Shute was an old soldier who had served with credit as lieutenant-colonel under Marlborough, but he was hampered by one of those disputes which in time of crisis were sure to occur in every British province whose governor was appointed by the crown. The assembly, jealous of the representative of royalty, and looking back mournfully to their virtual independence under the lamented old charter, had from the first let slip no opportunity to increase its own powers and abridge those of the governor, refused him the means of establishing the promised trading-houses in the Indian country and would grant no money for presents to conciliate the Norwichwocks. The house now wanted not only to control supplies for the war, but to direct the war itself and conduct operations by committees of its own. Shute made his plans of campaign and proceeded to appoint officers from among the frontier inhabitants who had at least the qualification of being accustomed to the woods. One of them, Colonel Walton, was obnoxious to some of the representatives who brought charges against him, and the House demanded that he should be recalled from the field to answer to them for his conduct. The governor objected to this as an encroachment on his province as commander-in-chief walton was now accused of obeying orders of the governor in contravention of those of the representatives who thereupon passed a vote requiring him to lay his journal before them this was more than shute could bear he had the character of a good-natured man but the difficulties and mortifications of his position had long galled him and he had got leave to return to England and lay his case before the king and council. The crisis had now come. The assembly were for usurping all authority, civil and military. Accordingly, on the 1st of January, 1723, the governor sailed in a merchant ship for London without giving notice of his intention to anybody except two or three servants. The burden of his difficult and vexatious office fell upon the lieutenant-governor, William Dummer. When he first met the council in his new capacity, a whimsical scene took place. Here, among the rest, was the aged, matronly countenance of the worthy Samuel Sewell, deeply impressed with the dignity and importance of his position as senior member of the board. At his best, he never had the faintest sense of humour or perception of the ludicrous, and being now, perhaps, touched with dotage, 
he thought it incumbent upon him to address a few words of exhortation and encouragement to the incoming chief magistrate he rose from his seat with long locks limp and white drooping from under his black skull-cap for he abhorred a wig as a sign of backsliding and in a voice of quavering solemnity spoke thus if your honour and this honourable board please to give me leave i would speak a word or two upon this solemn occasion although the unerring providence of god has brought you to the chair of government in a cloudy and tempestuous season yet you have for your encouragement that the people you have to do with are a part of the israel of god and you may expect to have the prudence and patience of moses communicated to you for your conduct it is evident that our almighty saviour counselled the first planters to remove hither and settle here and they dutifully followed his advice and therefore he will never leave nor forsake them nor theirs so that your honour must needs be happy in sincerely seeking their interest and welfare which your birth and education will incline you to do difficilia que pulcra i promise myself that they who sit at this board will yield their faithful advice to your honour according to the duty of their place having thus delivered himself to an audience not much more susceptible of the ludicrous than he was the old man went home well pleased and recorded in his diary that the lieutenant-governor and councillors rose and remained standing while he was speaking and they expressed a handsome acceptance of what i had said laus deo dummer was born in new england and might therefore expect to find more favour than had fallen to his predecessor but he was the representative of royalty and could not escape the consequences of being so in earnest of what was in store for him the assembly would not pay his salary because he had sided with the governor in the late quarrel the house voted to dismiss colonel walton and major moody the chief officers appointed by Shute, and when Dummer reminded it that this was a matter belonging to him as commander-in-chief, it withheld the pay of the obnoxious officers and refused all supplies for the war till they should be removed. Dummer was forced to yield. The House would probably have pushed him still farther if the members had not dreaded the effect of Shute's representations at court and feared lest persistent encroachment on the functions of the governor might cost them their charter to which insufficient as they thought it and far inferior to the one they had lost they clung tenaciously as the palladium of their liberties yet dummer needed the patience of job for his assembly seemed more bent on victories over him than over the indians there was another election which did not improve the situation the new house was worse than the old being made up of largely narrow-minded rustics 
who tried to relieve the governor of all conduct of the war by assigning it to a committee chosen from among themselves but the council would not concur with them meanwhile the usual ravages went on farmhouses were burned and the inmates waylaid and killed while the indians generally avoided encounters with armed bodies of whites near the village of oxford four of them climbed upon the roof of a house cut a hole in it with their hatchets and tried to enter a woman who was alone in the building and who had two loaded guns and two pistols seeing the first savage struggling to shove himself through the hole ran to him in desperation and shot him on which the others dragged the body back and disappeared there were several attempts of a more serious kind the small wooden fort at the river st george the most easterly english outpost was attacked but the assailants were driven off a few weeks later it was attacked again by the penobscots under their missionary father lavrajat other means failing they tried to undermine the stockade but their sap caved in from the effect of rains and they retreated with severe loss the warlike contagion spread to the indians of nova scotia in july the micmacs seized sixteen or seventeen fishing smacks at Kanzau, on which john elliot of boston and john robinson of cape anne chased the marauders in two sloops retook most of the vessels and killed a good number of the indians in the autumn a war-party under the noted chief Greylock, prowled about the village of rutland met the minister joseph willard and attacked him he killed one savage and wounded another but was at last shot and scalped the representatives had long been bent on destroying the mission village of the penobscots on the river of that name and one cause of their grudge against colonel walton was that by order of the governor he had deferred a projected attack upon it his successor colonel westbrook now took the work in hand went up the penobscot in february with two hundred and thirty men in sloops and whaleboats left these at the head of navigation and pushed through the forest to the indian town called panawamski by the french it stood apparently above bangor at or near pasadumkeg here the party found a stockade enclosure fourteen feet high seventy yards long and fifty yards wide containing twenty-three houses which westbrook a better woodsman than grammarian reports to have been built regular outside the stockade stood the chapel well and handsomely furnished within and without and on the south side of that the friar's dwelling-house this friar was father lauverjat who had led his flock to the attack of the fort at the st george both indians and missionary were gone westbrook's men burned the village and chapel and sailed back to the st george in the next year seventeen twenty four there was a more noteworthy stroke for dummer 
more pliant than Shute, had so far soothed his assembly that it no longer refused money for the war. It was resolved to strike at the root of the evil, seize rail, and destroy Norwich-Walk. Two hundred and eight men in four companies, under Captains Harmon, Moulton, and Brown, and Lieutenant Bean, set out from Fort Richmond in seventeen whale-boats on the 8th of August. They left the boats at Taconic Falls in charge of a lieutenant and forty men, and on the morning of the 10th the main body, accompanied by three Mohawk Indians, marched through the forest for Norwich-Walk. Towards evening they saw two squaws, one of whom they brutally shot, and captured the other, who proved to be the wife of the noted chief Bomazine. She gave them a full account of the state of the village, which they approached early in the afternoon of the twelfth. In the belief that some of the Indians would be in their cornfields on the river above, Harmon, who was in command, divided the force and moved up the river with about eighty men, while Moulton, with as many more, made for the village, advancing through the forest with all possible silence. About three o'clock, he and his men emerged from a tangle of trees and bushes, and saw the Norwich-Walk cabins before them, no longer enclosed with a stockade, but open and unprotected. Not an Indian was stirring, till at length a warrior came out from one of the huts, saw the English, gave a startled war-whoop, and ran back for his gun. Then all was dismay and confusion. Squaws and children ran screaming for the river, while the warriors, fifty or sixty in number, came to meet the enemy. Moulton ordered his men to reserve their fire till the Indians had emptied their guns. As he had foreseen, the excited savages fired wildly, and did little or no harm. The English, still keeping their ranks, returned a volley with deadly effect. The Indians gave one more fire, then ran for the river. Some tried to wade to the farther side, the water being low. Others swam across, while many jumped into their canoes, but could not use them, having left the paddles in their houses. Moulton's men followed close, shooting the fugitives in the water, or as they climbed the farther bank. When they returned to the village, they found rail in one of the houses, firing upon some of their comrades who had not joined in the pursuit. He presently wounded one of them, on which a lieutenant named Benjamin Jacques burst open the door of the house, and as he declared, found the priest loading his gun for another shot. The lieutenant said further that he called on him to surrender, and that Rail replied he would give neither quarter nor take it, on which Jacques shot him through the head. Moulton, who had given orders that Rail should not be killed, doubted this report of his subordinate so far as concerned the language used by Rail, though believing that he had exasperated the lieutenant by provoking expressions of some kind. The old chief Mogg had shut himself up in another house, from which he fired and killed one of Moulton's three Mohawks, 
whose brother then beat in the door and shot the chief dead. Several of the English followed and brutally murdered Mogg's squaw and his two children. Such plunder as the village afforded, consisting of three barrels of gunpowder, with a few guns, blankets, and kettles, was then seized, and the Puritan militia thought it a meritorious act to break what they called the idols in the church and carry off the sacred vessels. Harmon and his party returned towards night from their useless excursion to the cornfields, where they found nobody. In the morning a search was made for the dead, and twenty-six Indians were found and scalped, including the principal chiefs and warriors of the place. Then, being anxious for the safety of their boats, the party marched for Taconic Falls. They had scarcely left the village when one of the two surviving Mohawks, named Christian, secretly turned back, set fire to the church and the houses, and then rejoined the party. The boats were found safe, and embarking, they rowed down to Richmond with their trophies. The news of the fate of the Jesuit and his mission spread joy among the border settlers, who saw in it the end of their troubles. In their eyes, Rail was an incendiary, setting on a horde of bloody savages to pillage and murder. While they thought him a devil, he passed in Canada for a martyred saint. He was neither the one nor the other, but a man with the qualities and faults of a man, fearless, resolute, enduring, boastful, sarcastic, often bitter and irritating, a vehement partisan, apt to see things not as they were, but as he wished them to be, given to inaccuracy and exaggeration, yet no doubt sincere in opinions and genuine in zeal, hating the English more than he loved the Indians, calling himself their friend, yet using them as instruments of worldly policy to their danger and final ruin. In considering the ascription of martyrdom, it is to be remembered that he did not die because he was an apostle of the faith, but because he was the active agent of the Canadian government. There is reason to believe that he sometimes exercised a humanizing influence over his flock. The war which he helped to kindle was marked by fewer barbarities, fewer tortures, mutilations of the dead, and butcheries of women and infants than either of the preceding wars. It is fair to assume that this was due in part to him though it was chiefly the result of an order given at the outset by Shute that non-combatants in exposed positions should be sent to places of safety in the older settlements. End of section 18